What are the elements of a fee-based practice and how is that conversation received by clients? We'll find out in this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. Today's episode of Shift Shapers is sponsored by Rogers Benefit Group, a national employee benefits general agency. For over 65 years, Rogers Benefit Group has focused on helping brokers deliver creative, value-driven solutions to attract new group business and strengthen existing client relationships. For more information, go to our website at shiftshapersonline.com. Today we're speaking with John Garvin, who's a principal of Benico out in the Midwest in the Chicago area. John, how are you today? Thanks, David. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us and for being part of the Shift Shapers uh, experience. We appreciate it. No problem. John, you know, you and I, in in full disclosure, you and I have known each other for quite some time, and and I've watched your practice change significantly over the years. Could you talk a little bit about about how you started and what kind of practice you had and how it was based and, and what you did? And then we can talk a little bit about the change that you made, about the shift that you made into a different kind of a model. Sure, David. I started my practice actually uh, 32 years ago as a sole proprietorship. I worked for a uh, for Great West uh, at the time, Great West Life, and later became Great West Healthcare. Now it's part of Cigna. But uh, back in the late 70s and early 80s, Great West was one of the few companies that was offering alternate funded products for health and welfare plans, uh, minimum premium, administrative services only. And because of that experience, I was uh, used to working with uh, larger groups, typically groups in more than 150 to 200 employees uh, under under their plans, and probably the largest group I probably worked with was you know 5,000 lives uh, as a as a rep with Great West. I started my practice in 1981 as a sole proprietor. Uh, left Great West and actually had some brokers that I co-brokered business with. And so from the very start, uh, we were pretty much concentrated towards the larger end of the market. But we do have clients of all sizes, including small group clients. But I would say from a revenue standpoint, our overall percentage of clients with more than 100 employees is probably something on the order of 80 percent. Okay. And so when you started in business, you were running a traditional model. Most of your revenue was commission-based? Yes. And at, at some point down the road, that changed. Can you talk about what the environment was at the time and what the thought process was and how you got from being commission-based to being more of a fee-based practice? Because I think that's really going to be keenly of interest to our listeners. Okay, well, thanks. Uh, you know, basically, mid-90s, I st- tried to determine uh, how do I differentiate myself from other uh, brokerages. And uh, the one of the things that occurred to me back then was the whole idea of transparency and being accountable. It started developing basically what amounts to a professional services agreement for what we do for our clients. And of course, uh, groups of over 100 employees have forever been required to provide uh, disclosure under Schedule A and Form 5500 what the uh, broker commissions are. So I figured at some point, uh, why not just go ahead and uh, get rid of all the black box aspect of what we do and just, uh, here's my services agreement, this is what we charge. And so we, we over time, have moved uh, gradually more and more towards uh, fees. We still receive commissions, probably uh, close to half our business. These are typically smaller accounts, uh, companies with less than 150, 200 employees. 
a lot of times it's more advantageous for the client just to uh, you know keep it on a commission basis because they might not get a dollar for dollar offset by taking commissions off the pricing of the, their products. But uh, the point is, regardless of what size of group we're dealing with, whether it's a commission or fee based uh, arrangement, we fully disclose what uh, what it is and how we get paid and what we do for that. Do you have any arrangements that are hybrid where um, you make some commission and some fee or when you click the button to go fee, is it solely fee on a client? Uh, we have some clients that are fee only. We have a number of clients that are hybrid, to your point. Uh, we make it very clear in our professional service agreement. You know, like typically we'll, if we are a hybrid, we will do the, the medical and dental and those types of plans on a uh, net of commission basis. And, and they, in those hybrid cases, we might have like the life and disability contracts on a, on a commission basis because, uh, again, it's more advantageous in some cases, depending on the size of the group, to uh, keep it that way versus the stripping uh, commissions out entirely. If you can remember, John, back when you started to make this change, what were those conversations with clients like? I mean, typically clients were used to paying commissions other than, you know, self-funded clients. It was always kind of a disclosure part. But what were those conversations like and how did the clients take to the fee arrangement rather than the commission arrangement? And did they feel as though instantly it was advantageous or was it kind of a growing process and a learning process for them as well as for you and your agency? Well, I think basically the uh, I'd say the vast majority of our clients that we approached on this basis were very favorably received it. Uh, you know, they recognize that you know they pay their attorneys, their accountants, uh, and other professionals fees for their services. And uh, again, we're providing professional services. Why is this any different? You know, there is, and the point is, David, there isn't like a commission genie and uh, and we work for free or anything like that. We, you know, there, there's a true uh, services provided, and and uh, consultants, brokers who are uh, who are good at what they do uh, can talk to their clients about uh, a fee and and uh, provide a rationale for it. And I think the vast majority of clients are willing to pay for for uh, professional advice, and, and that's that's our thought process. If you were to give advice to somebody who had not gone to a fee basis, but who was kind of thinking about it, what would be your advice as to how they would get started and what their thought process might be to go from commission to fee? Well, first of all, David, I think uh, if they're strictly commissioned, I think at the very least, if they haven't already done the first step, if they haven't already done this, they should definitely, if you will, develop a professional service agreement and really spell out all the things that they do uh, for the client. And uh, also, if they're not disclosing commissions, uh, for instance, if they have clients of less than 100 employees that they either, either are they're risk exempt, they don't do the 5,500 reporting, or they're below 100 lives and they don't have the Schedule A information uh also begin to dis, uh, disclose what the uh, commission arrangement is. And uh, so they, the client will then value the services they're getting from the broker. They, they realize it's not free. There, there's an expense to it. It's priced into their, into their contract. And then the broker then, I think, can pivot from that point to, uh, you know, talking about, hey, uh, we really, I don't really need to be paid by the insurance company if it's uh, okay by you. I'd rather just have you pay me as your advisor and uh, we'll just simply reduce your premium by the amount of the commission if it works out to be that way. And like I said, most of the time with self-funded medical dental vision plans, it's dollar-for-dollar dollar offset. Sometimes you might, in a smaller account, there might not be a dollar-for-dollar dollar offset for life and disability. So uh, you can have those conversations with your client. And, uh, I, again, I think the vast majority of clients are, are very receptive to the idea. I think uh, many will find them, uh, be surprised by how receptive they are to it. In a professional services agreement, John, are most of the deliverables priced on a per case basis or an hourly basis, or is there some mixture of the two? No, to be honest with you, I don't track billable hours. What I do is 
I provide uh, for a client a, a complete menu of, of services that are provided, uh, an ongoing retainer relationship. And frankly, most of our fees are are kind of a, you know, at one point, I looked at the commissions that the case was generating, and then I, I, then I decided, well, here, I, I'll share that with the client and say, well, instead of charging X through the commission structure, I'll charge Y through a fee. And, I, and, and generally speaking, uh, it's probably close to maybe a little bit less than what the commission was generating. The other thing that is somewhat in, uh, a challenge sometimes is uh, justifying fee increases. So, But then again, on the, uh, a lot of the small group commission arrangements are per employee, per month, and capitated. So it's not like the old days where you had a lot of revenue lift because as premiums went up, commissions went up. We're beginning to see level uh, compression of revenue through uh, you know, flat PEPM commissions. So, you know, I think it's uh, it's it's a natural evolution, I, I believe. And I think at some point here in the next five to 10 years, I think the vast majority of advisors who are able to thrive in this environment, uh, I believe, will be moving into that, that fee-based environment. Because it's very fair in the client. Uh, it's transparent. The client understands what they're, they're getting. Do you think that there's anything that you see in the current environment that might over time with healthcare reform, with the different mindset employers are starting to adopt, with the different mindset that carriers are starting to adopt, that might make a fee-based structure more feasible for folks who are servicing smaller groups? We already see uh, in the small employer group market, uh, commissions are being stressed on a capitation basis. So it's oftentimes I see even in some of the commission agreements reference made to broker fees. So I think the, the first step before anybody does anything with directly billing fees for a smaller group is just to be transparent and disclose how they're getting paid by the uh, carrier as part of an overall professional service agreement. I'm not sure how this is going to play out with the carriers, uh, you know, it, whether you really will be able to buy a contract uh, net of commission typically on a small group. I'm, I'm not certain how that's going to play out. Again, my, most of our business tends to be above 50 lives and we're not doing too much in the small group market. Okay, let's shift gears a little bit here. About eight years ago, I mean, we're, we're a big fan here at Shift Shapers of strategic partnerships. About eight years ago, you guys decided to create a strategic partnership with Benefit Advisors Network. What was the thought process behind doing that? Why, what was the impetus for Benico to do that? And, and what has it brought to your table? How have you gained by it? That's an excellent question. I began to realize, David, that as a sole practitioner, I've got a total staff of five people, including myself. I've got a lot of uh, knowledge base and, and uh, experience, but the things I lack as a small practitioner is, you know, the, some of the resources that some of the bigger firms can bring to the table. It just looking at what I'm able to do myself, there's only so much I can do. So I decided it made a lot of sense to associate with Benefit Advisors Network as a means of, of leveraging the collaboration that goes on with that group. It's a way, the Benefit Advisors Network is a platform that helps people like myself, uh, smaller practice be able to marshal the resources that many of the bigger firms have and yet remain independent. And so that's, and through that association, we've been able to develop a lot of proprietary products and mostly services, develop strategic relations with carriers and third-party administrators, kind of a, a most favored nation status uh, with a number of carriers on, on some strategic alliances. And it's really helped me leverage uh, size and scale through the collective, uh, if you will, the Benefit Advisors Network. Certainly we have a good reputation uh, in our market you know, in the in the Midwest, but uh, this is a national consortium of uh, benefits consultancies like mine. Uh, I think there's around 55 firms in the uh, Benefit Advisors Network currently. But we every six months we have uh, educational conferences. We get together and, and talk about uh, marketing. We talk about uh, services. 
And we also have a very good compliance emphasis. And that's increasingly, I think, a, a big part of what the value that advisors will be bringing to their clients in the future is being very up to speed on compliance and how to steer their their, their clients in a good direction. Again, I can, uh, Nehu, uh, which uh, we're both members of, has excellent resources uh, from a compliance perspective, but Benefit Advisor Network takes it a step further with some very deep, robust resources in that regard. And that's really been of help to me, and I'd be able to leverage that with my relations with my clients. And now, a word from our sponsor. For over 65 years, Rogers Benefit Group has been committed to helping brokers with employee benefits. They partner with professional agents to bring fully insured and self-funded medical plans, plus a wide range of ancillary benefits to the client. When you partner with Rogers Benefit Group, the value added goes far beyond plan benefits and service. Their proprietary PPACA modeling tool helps brokers evaluate the law's impact on each of their clients and allows them to strategically guide their clients through the law and its regulations. And to make sure that groups with over 100 employees don't face penalties next year, they've partnered with several insurance companies and TPAs to custom design minimum essential coverage and minimum value plans. To find the Rogers Benefit Group office near you, just go to our website at shiftshapersonline.com and click on their logo at the top of the page. And now, back to our conversation. You mentioned, John, that you guys have educational conferences for the members of the network, but as I recall, one of the hallmarks of what you bring to the table for your clients is an awful lot of education. And I know most people don't know this, but you helped to create the National Association of Health Underwriters very first website. Um, I remember because I was there at the time along with you and Beth Ashmore. You still do an awful lot of blogging. You do an awful lot in education. Talk about that and how that's an important component of what you deliver to clients. Yeah, well, one thing I I wanted to mention is that we're still honing our social media strategy. In fact, I'm working with a firm, uh, ActOn, to help us uh, take that to another level. But in the meantime, though, uh, one of the things we do is we have a digital studio in in our offices, and we actually are providing uh, a means for many of our clients to, if you will, script and tape virtual employee meetings. Uh, Many of our clients have multiple locations around the country, and it's virtually impossible to get in front of all their employees. So one way of doing it is uh, you create – most companies have their own YouTube channels, so you you script and film videos – and uh, it's pr- pretty inexpensive. It sounds like like it would be inexpensive, inex- but it's actually pretty inexpensive to uh, outfit a, a studio. It's you know three to four thousand dollars, and you can do a lot of nice uh, production that way. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's uh, well, it does. But let's do a little bit deeper dive into into the education side of it. What are the educational components? I mean, in, in your fee agreement, is one of the deliverables a series of educational components for employees? How does that roll out, and how does that actually happen in practice? We also license a platform called Benergy, which is a uh, employee benefit communication portal. And on that uh, platform, there's a lot of resources for benefit education, financial education, and uh, that's a primary part of that. But we also assist clients with developing uh, collateral as far as uh, maybe some marketing pieces to their employees about how to best utilize uh, healthcare services, you know, how to be uh, good good consumers. Uh, of course, many of our clients are moving more and more towards consumer-driven plans, and there's certainly a lot of resources out there to help employees uh, begin to understand how, how to become better consumers. We try to uh, bring to bear some that some of those good resources and uh, and, and put it in a uh, kind of a flyer and, and share with the employees. 
Are you working an awful lot on the private exchange side and and working with kind of defined contribution models? Are you seeing a lot of that? I know some brokers are, especially in the segment that you're servicing. Yeah, the Benefit Advisor Network uh, I'm a member of actually aims to deal with a liaison, uh, which is a a national firm. It's a private exchange uh, technology company. At present, uh, we don't have any clients doing the uh, private exchanges. I think we're, frankly, and from my perspective, it's we're kind of in the stage with private exchanges that uh, we were with wellness programs, you know, five or six years ago. I think everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to know you have a private exchange option, and then you know, when it comes to actually uh, pulling the trigger and doing something, I think uh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not, not seeing that really high of an adoption rate yet. I, I think they will be in the future. But, you know, frankly, most of our clients are already adopting kind of a uh, core buy-up strategy with health insurance anyways. They're beginning to, uh, you know, typically uh, most of our clients with over 100 employees will have multiple plan options. And so they're already, you know, they'll already have a plan that they fully subsidize and, and they'll use some kind of, you know, buy-up strategy for uh, if you want to buy more expensive plans, you can, but you need to pay the full difference or, you know, so we're, we've already we've been doing defined contribution for years, but it just isn't through the uh, private exchange platform. It's something that uh, conceptually we've been adopting for a number of years, but uh, you know, so far none of our clients have actually adopted the private exchange. But you know, we've certainly talked to them about it, but uh, I think we're still a couple of years away from uh, more wide scale adoption. That's my opinion. I think that's a good analogy to the wellness programs and how those rolled out. There was, as I recall, an awful lot of talk about them before people actually started doing them wholesale. John, in the couple of minutes that we've got left, everybody else is prognosticating about where they think healthcare is going to go in the light of healthcare reform and the changes that have been made even since the bill was passed. What's your vision for healthcare reform writ large and also how that might impact your agency and what things you're doing in the near term to take advantage of it or to be positioned for it? Again, I think uh, going back to my comment earlier about compliance, one of the big values we bring is that uh, we really are, through a combination of effort uh, and between Benefit Advisor Network, uh, my own involvement with in interest in compliance, is bringing those types of uh, advisory services to our clients and helping them understand what is how does the employer mandate affect us? What does this really mean? How do we track this? But the main thing, I think, is that uh, regardless of what's happening with healthcare reform, you know, the market was moving more towards a defined contribution arrangement anyways, uh, irrespective of healthcare reform. I just think the main thing advisors need to do is to uh, help clients be in a position to kind of uh, deal with the noise of healthcare reform and just get them to understand law evolves through regulation. How do they best uh, position their plans to, first of all, promote the idea of a healthy workforce and uh, you know basically human capital management and improving productivity and, and all the things that you want to, the reasons why you have health insurance and other benefits is uh, in the first place that traditional reasons for sponsoring plans. With that being said, I think, uh, you know, I think there's there's a lot of concern that all of a sudden uh, employers will wholesale drop uh, plans and what have you. But, uh, you know, I'm still cautiously optimistic that that's not going to be the result. Uh, but uh, who knows, as this thing, this whole thing unfolds, uh, it could take any number of directions, depending on future administrations, future congresses, what have you. I just think we just need to be nimble and uh, and just, you know, just be sensitive to what the employers are concerned about and uh, help them kind of navigate the, the, the whole Nimble is a great word, and that's a great place to to leave the interview. John, thank you so much for spending time today with the Shift Shapers audience. We look forward to what's going to happen in the future, and, and we look forward to having you back in a couple of years, and we'll talk about what the changes have been. Thanks, David. 
Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you go to the ShiftShapersOnline.com website, you'll find links for everything we talked about today, as well as full recaps of all Shift Shapers episodes. While you're on the site, register and leave a review. It's easy, and don't worry if you've never reviewed a podcast before. Simple instructions are on the site. As a special Shift Shapers launch promotion, we will randomly select three reviewers to win one free hour of consulting with me, where I will personally analyze and recommend shifts you can shape to take your business to the next level. The winners will be announced in episodes three, six, and eight, so be sure to listen in. Once you're registered, we'll also notify you of some very exciting upcoming webinars exclusively for registered shift shapers like you. Again, thanks for joining us for today's episode. Head over to the shiftshapersonline.com website for more information. And remember, you have the power to shape the shifts in your business.